Amen. Thank you, Bill. We had a little battery issue there, so apologize. Um, oh, and I just left my clicker behind. I'm a little bit jumbled this morning, so I apologize ahead of time. Uh, I'm going to try and not let that reflect in my preaching, but uh, sometimes it can't be helped. And so I uh, want to welcome you this morning. If you are a guest, we're glad that you're here today. Uh, as Kyle said, we want to encourage you to stick around so we can get to know you. Uh, if you're visiting us the first time, there are some welcome cards that are available. We'd love for you to fill one of those out. If you, if you do, uh, we have a little gift that we'd like to give you today. Um, you can actually see uh, Terry and Marva, who just raised their hands, and they'd be happy to give you one of those. Uh, I think John Duffy would be willing to do that as well. John, if you want to wave your hand. Uh, they're part of our welcome team, and so uh, if you visit with them and give them a card, they have, they have a gift for you this morning. Um, we're continuing a series on the book of Deuteronomy, uh, and we only have a few more weeks left to go. Uh, Kyle did a great job of preaching 15 chapters of the book last week in a very concise sermon, and uh, I've given myself a, a much easier uh, piece of the book to, to chew on this morning. Uh, we're looking towards the end of Moses's last sermon, uh, but it's just as he's preparing the Israelites to go into the land. And this morning, I think this is maybe one of the most important passages in the book of Deuteronomy for Christians today. Um, it's easy to look at it and say, you know, Moses is really just talking to the Israelites about what it means to live in the promised land, but I, I think it goes much more beyond that, because honestly, I think at this point, the Israelites have hyped up the promised land itself so much that whatever it happens to be might actually be a bit of a disappointment to them. And I don't say that lightly because God was true in what he told the Israelite people about the land. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. It's a, it's a good land. It's a land I'm going to give to you for you and your ancestors. And you're going to have houses that you didn't build, cities you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant. This is going to be the case for you. God has told them these things, and all of it will be true. But I think in the Israelite's mind... What they are thinking is that as soon as we cross the river, it's all easy from there on out. And it's really about being where, where we've been told we're going to be. It's easy to see how they might come to this conclusion. If you take a look at uh, chapter 27, verse 1 through 3, it says, Now Moses and the elders of Israel commanded the people, saying, Keep the whole commandment that I command you today, and on the day you cross over the Jordan to the land that the Lord your God is giving you, you shall set up large stones and plaster them with plaster. And you shall write on them all the words of this law. When you cross over to enter the land that the Lord your God is giving you, a land flowing with milk and honey, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. He gives them some instruction. He says, I want you to erect some monuments, essentially, on the other side of the river. Uh, it was appropriate that John chose uh, uh, Come Thou Fount, which uses this phrase, Ebenezer. Uh, you've probably heard before, an Ebenezer is a large stone, a monument, a reminder of a place that someone has been or a significant event in their life. It's actually where we draw these large, that, that word we draw from the Old Testament it's, it's the word that means a large stone, a monument, a reminder. And God has instructed them through Moses 
to build a monument on the other side to say this is where we entered into the land. This is the covenant we entered into the land with. These are God's expectations for his people in this land. And just as God was faithful to carry us into this land, we should now be faithful to keep the law that we've written on these reminder stones, these Ebenezer's. There's some further instruction. He says, And when you have crossed over the Jordan, you shall set up these stones concerning which I command you today on Mount Ebal. And you shall plaster them with plaster. And there you shall build an altar to the Lord your God, an altar of stones. You shall wield no iron tool on them. You shall build an altar to the Lord your God of uncut stones. And you shall offer burnt offerings on it to the Lord your God. And you shall sacrifice peace offerings and shall eat there. And you shall rejoice before the Lord your God. And you shall write on the stones all the words of this very Uh, this law very plainly. I want you to think about what God has instructed them here. He's, He's actually preparing them for a very large ceremony that's about to happen. When they enter into the land, they're going to come to a place called Shechem. And in Shechem, there's going to be two mountains. Shechem kind of sits down in the valley between Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal. These are the mountains of the blessing and the curse in the Old Testament. Uh, Before the Israelites ended up building a temple in Jerusalem, and before they ended up placing the tent of God in Shiloh, Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal were the holy places for the Israelite people. Now as they come to to conquer the land, to take the land that God has promised them, the, the tent moves several times, and ultimately David brings it to the city of David, uh, to Bethlehem, and sets it up there, and eventually that place will become the place where they will build the temple. But from the very beginning, the moment at which the Israelites cross into the land, they go to a place that is familiar to their ancestors, a place where Abraham had dwelt for a period of time, a place where Jacob had dwelt for a period of time. In fact, they cross the river roughly at the same point where Jacob and Abraham had previously crossed this river. And they go into the the promised land and approach, approach Shechem, And they build an altar to the Lord there. And God tells them, you're going to offer sacrifices on that altar. And as I've mentioned before, sometimes we think when we read about sacrifices or tithes in the Old Testament, that it means that the people gave it all away with no expectation of any return. But oftentimes what would happen is they would offer to God a sacrifice and then they would participate in the consumption of that sacrifice. You would take a portion for yourself and a portion for the Levite, and God would consume the rest, but you were invited into sharing the sacrifice. You see, actually, in many ways, the sacrifice is a blessing to the people of Israel. We see it as a burden, but it's a blessing. I want you to think, you know, uh, if, if you are like me, you enjoy a good smoked meat, right? Uh, some tri-tip or some brisket or, you know, things along those lines. I've actually got a friend visiting this morning from Texas, and uh, uh, he, he will tell you that brisket is, you know, a divine thing. And in fact, if you read the Old Testament, you can see that God himself is a barbecue man. He likes to have the pleasing aroma of the burning wood and the roasting meat. It's, it's described in such a way that it's kind of an instruction manual for cooking good meat over an open fire. 
And God invites the Israelite people. I don't want to diminish sacrifice here, but he invites them into what is essentially a a barbecue. He tells them, you're going to come and you're going to offer sacrifices to me and peace offerings, and you're going to eat. The first thing that God does on inviting the people into the land is say, hey, remember me erect a memorial that says this is where we came into the land, this is the promise that God made to us and the promise we're making to him, and then let's feast. There is no warfare in the plan on the first day of entering the promised land. That's not God's intention. It is, it is not a dramatic battle. It is a celebration of a relationship. You know, when I read from this particular passage, the thing that stands out most to me is this statement from Moses to the Israelite people, keep silence and hear, O Israel. This day, you have become the people of the Lord your God. There are a lot of instructions that Moses gives to the Israelite people, a lot of expectations that God has for them in the ways in which they will behave, the ways in which they will not behave, uh, the ways that they're supposed to conduct their business between one another and the foreign nations. But it all comes back to this identity, the people of the Lord your God. The Israelites have spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness looking forward to a time where they will enter into the land. And as I said before, there's probably this expectation that like all we got to do is get there and everything's going to be good. It's all going to be all right. We're going to get to the other side of the river. We're going to get into the land and everything is going to be just hunky-dory because the land is what it's all about. But Moses' encouragement to the Israelite people is not to see this whole process of 40 years in the wilderness and the promises that have come for centuries beforehand as the end-all, be-all. This land is not the thing that fulfills it all. What fulfills it all is the relationship with God. I am the Lord your God. These are the words that God uses over and over again to the Israelite people. And and when they go into the land and they have Mount Gerizim and Mount Ebal on either side, they're supposed to have this big monumental ceremony in which one half of the Israelite people will stand on one side and one half will stand on the other side. And one group of people will pronounce a series of curses for those who break covenant with God. Now, Breaking covenant does mean, in fact, breaking some of the laws, right? It's very clear, cursed is the man who does this thing. But the key with the breaking of the laws is that it is not just breaking a set of arbitrary rules. It is removing yourself from relationship with God. And God says, when you are out of step with me, when you remove yourself from relationship with me, when you cease to be my people in action it will be a curse to you. The people on the other side of the mountain, or on the other mountain, rather, are then to respond in a very specific way. 
They're going to suggest that those who keep covenant with God, who remain in relationship with him, who continue to live in the ways that suggest and, in fact, evidence relationship with him, will be blessed. And so you have the cursing and you have the blessing, but God begins by saying, look, if you break covenant with me, there will be curse. The direct result of leaving relationship with me is a diminished life. And the promises that I have made are good promises for those who are in relationship with me. For those who can affirm this, this day you have become the people of the Lord your God. For those people, for the ones that obey the covenant, who abide by it, who stay in relationship with God, there are great blessings. Listen to the way that the blessings are described. The Lord will cause your enemies to be defeated. The Lord will command the blessing in your barns. The Lord will establish you. The Lord will make you prosper. The Lord will open his good treasury to give rains. The Lord will make you the head and not the tail. You shall only go up. Now I want you to think for just a moment here. If you, if you were going to choose the part of an anatomy to be, you probably want to choose to be the head, right? And this is a pretty universal thing throughout time. Most people don't want to be the tail end of an animal. Just ask my daughter. I make the joke sometimes, what's under a pony's tail, and I flip it up, and she gets very offended, right? Rightfully so. It's a bad dad joke, and uh, she doesn't appreciate it. We want to be the head. We want to be blessed. We want to prosper. We want to have the rains fall on our crops. We want our enemies to be defeated. We want to have our barns filled. These are good things, right? You could probably map almost every single one of these onto something that's true about your life. These are blessings that you want. You want to be prospered. You want to have abundance, or at least as much as you need. You want to have the rains fall on you. I mean, you think about the last few years of wildfires that we've had. There are a lot of Oregonians that have cried out for rain, not necessarily knowing who they're crying out to. These are blessings that come from relationship with God for the Israelite people but they are all tied specifically to God himself. It doesn't say, if you do these things, the rains will fall. If you do these things, your barns will be filled. If you do these things, your enemies will be defeated. If you do these things, the, the heavens will open up and, and you'll receive more than you could ever imagine. It says, no, if you do these things, the Lord will do. Don't get confused about where the blessings come from. Don't think it's the land that is blessing you. God can very well take any land and make it a beautiful, wonderful land. If God wanted to, he could take the Sahara Desert and turn it into a Paradise Valley, right? Because we know for a fact that God in the beginning created a good creation out of waste and void. Starting with a, a pile of sand is a lot easier. And God tells the Israelite people, if 
you remain in covenant with me, I will bless you. And it's really important not to confuse the gift for the giver. Because the Israelites are going to do that an awful lot over the course of their history. They're going to come to points in their their timeline, their lives, their, their establishment as a nation, where they will confuse the gift for the giver. What a wonderful land we live in. In fact, when they go into exile, there's an interesting series of psalms that talk about the reflections of the Israelites on their land, remembering the beauty of the land. And yet, for most of the Israelites who go into captivity, that we read about, the thing that strengthens them, that makes them blessed even outside of the land, is their relationship with God. I want you to think about the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These are men who are very much not in the land that God had promised to the Israelite people, but they are some of the most blessed Israelites to have ever lived. Now, keep in mind, there's some pretty bad stuff that happens to them outside of the land, but it's really not as a result of being outside of the land. It's a result of their forefathers having fallen out of relationship with God. These men are castrated. These men are, are turned into eunuchs. They are, they are then shaven clean, which is actually a really scary sort of thing for an Israelite person because it reminds them a lot of the practices of Egypt where they were shaving clean. The Israelite people have a history with nations that despised body hair in any way, shape, or form. And they find themselves in captivity but they remain in relationship with God and every work of their hand is blessed. And even the things that might be seen as curses towards them turn for the good. Being thrown into a fiery furnace is not a deterrent for someone in relationship with God because the fiery furnace does not become a moment of death and destruction. What it becomes is a moment of blessing in which the power and glory of God is revealed to protect those who remain in relationship with him. Think about Daniel, this man who everything he touches goes right. Daniel is in many ways an example of like a, a future Joseph, right? Joseph goes into, the, the promised, or goes into Egypt as a slave, as a prisoner, and he spends time there every Everything he touches flourishes because he's in relationship with God. Every time that something could go wrong or he could make the wrong choice, he chooses to do what would please God, and everything prospers around him. The same is true of Daniel, a man in captivity, subjected to some really strange and awful situations in his life, who continues to be faithful to God even in the presence of a lion. Cast into a den of lions, Daniel remains faithful. And what could have been seen as a curse becomes a blessing of the revelation and power and glory of God. It's not about location. You can be the blessed people of God outside of the promised land. And you can very much be the cursed people who have rejected God in the promised land. 
That's the story of the book of Judges. I kind of want to preach through the book of Judges, but we may have to take a break from the Old Testament for just a little bit and we'll come back to it. But you read the book of Judges and you see that being in the land is not the solution to life's problems. The solution to life's problems is being in relationship with God, where by God's provision, it is made manifest to us that he is in relationship with us. And you have this series of blessings that occur here. And and as I was reading through it this last week, as I was thinking on what it is that, that Moses is telling the people what they will play act on the mountain, mountains, very much reminds me of how Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus begins the Sermon on the Mount with the Beatitudes. He says, blessed are you. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the persecuted. Jesus lists a long series of individuals that he considers blessed. And then he tells them this, you are the city on a hill. You are the light of the world. The Israelite people have been told multiple times here that by living in covenant relationship with God, the nations will come to believe in who God is. That Israel is in fact supposed to be a city on a hill. You go and you read Daniel again later on, or you read the book of Micah, or you read uh, the book of Amos, and there, there is this longing and expectation for a time in which the city of Jerusalem will be this, this high holy place where all nations will come and, and flock to the throne of God set up in Jerusalem because they have seen in the people of God the truth of what relationship with God is and the blessing that comes from remaining in relationship with him. And when Jesus tells this assembled crowd of people, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. They are a city on a hill. They are the light of the world. God says every one of these characteristics that exist within the people who have come to follow me, what you might see as a curse, I will turn to blessing. And by that, the nations will know. They'll see the city on a hill. They'll see the light of the world, and they'll be drawn to it. This is God's hope for Israel. But he gives them a warning as he closes out this this section of his sermon, he says to the Israelite people, beware, lest there be among you a man or woman or clan or tribe whose heart is turning away today from the Lord our God to go and serve the gods of those nations. Why would they go to serve the gods of the other nations? Why would someone abandon relationship with Yahweh, 
for the God of their neighbors. I think it's a clear misunderstanding again about what the real blessing here is. See, you go into the land and you have a bad year of crops. It's not terrible, it's not famine, but it just wasn't quite as much as the year before. And you look over to your neighbors who have had an abundant harvest this year, and you think, well, the land is not as good as we thought it was, which means maybe, maybe whatever they're doing over in that land is the thing that's going to be the solution to my problems. Maybe whatever it is that they're spreading out on their lawn, whatever it is that they're worshiping on Sunday morning, whatever it is that they find themselves participating in, maybe, maybe that's the real solution. And of course, one of the key aspects of this idea of not worshiping foreign gods is don't worship the things that are created. Worship the creator. See, all these foreign nations, they worship things that are the god of the harvest, they worship the things that are the gods of, of the serpent or the god of the deer or the god of fertility. I want to have a baby and so I'm going to worship the god of fertility. I'm going to, I want to have a good crop and so I'm going to worship the god of the harvest. You know, I want my bank account to be just a little bit bigger so I'm going to worship the god of Goldman Sachs. I want to be able to live my life with absolute liberty and self-determination, so I'm going to worship the God of the state. There are a lot of things that we confuse for the God who has promised us blessing. But the blessing that God promises to us most, the one that he wants us to understand is the greatest blessing of all, is not the things he's going to give to us, not the houses that he's going to build for us, not, not the storehouses that he's going to fill for us, not the money that he's going to place in our pocket. And let me tell you, there are a lot of Christians in this world who are constantly being told that the thing that God wants to do most for us is fill our pockets. None of that is the blessing that God emphasizes the most. The blessing that God emphasizes the most is the blessing of relationship with him. Isn't it true that God tells us, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things shall be added unto you. When we start worshiping the land we fail to worship the God who has given it to us. And we can't possibly receive the blessing at that point. And in fact, in many ways, the thing that we formerly thought was a blessing when removed from relationship with God becomes the curse. Full storehouses. You remember we just went through the parables. There's this moment where a man fills his storehouses and he builds new barns so he can fill those too. And God tells him, you fool. Who will enjoy this? This night your life is demanded of you. And it becomes a curse. Immediately, all this stuff that I thought was a blessing is a curse now. See, these foreign nations that would build up their storehouses in years of plenty and, and keep it from the Israelite people and keep it from their neighbors became targets for warfare. 
to receive an abundance without the blessing of God, usually put a target on your back. These nations that had great military conquests oftentimes became very unstable because as they would conquer new nations, what would happen is, yeah, you're telling me I'm a Persian now, but I kind of still think that I'm Greek. And I don't really like being conquered very much. So I'm going to fight back. Lots of revolutions happened in empires that were very powerful militarily. Because military might and dominion kind of paint a target on your back. But the Israelite people who were told not to store up for themselves, but to let God provide. Not to build armies for themselves, but to let God provide. Not to place a king over themselves, but to let God provide. When they followed the command of the Lord, had no target on their back but instead we're a light to the world. This morning, I think the application for us as Christians, and I want to wrap this up, is pretty clear. When we have it good, there is a tendency for us to confuse the gift that we've been given with the one who has given us the gift. When things are going well for us, it's possible for us to fail to acknowledge the God who is himself the blessing. It's possible for us to think that we are blessed because we have discovered ourselves in a position of power. But Jesus says that it's those who are weak who are blessed. It's possible for us to think that because we have become rich, that that's the blessing that God intended for us. But God says it's those who are poor who are blessed. we need to realign our understanding of what blessing is to exclusively focus on the one who gives the blessing. Not to pursue other things. Not to worship the God of wealth or power or gluttony. But to worship the God who gives security. The God who offers relationship the God who lifts up those who are disenfranchised and broken. So the good news for most of us this morning is those times when we feel as though maybe we are on the outside of our society, maybe we're feeling a little marginalized, disenfranchised. Relationship with God is greater than any enfranchisement we might have any enrichment we may find in our culture or our society. For those of us that are feeling like maybe things are going a little too well, it might be time to ask ourselves, have the blessings become the curse? Have I confused what God has given me for God himself? To challenge ourselves to pursue first relationship with God and to let everything else come after. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to worship you. We want to be able to be silent and hear that we are the people of God. 
not to proclaim loudly the many ways in which we are superior to all those around us, but instead, Father, by our relationship with you, to allow you to shine so that others might see us in in the highest moments praising you and in the moments where we are the weakest and most torn down, glorying in the relationship that we have with you so that you are glorified both in our strength and our weakness. So that when we are a mighty nation surrounded by walls that have protected us from harm, we can say this is because God is good. And the moments that we are thrown into the fire and we face death, that we can loudly proclaim even still, God is good. And Father, if we need to, in those weak moments when we have crossed over the river, when you have brought us into security and safety, help us to erect monuments that remind us of where we've been and where you have brought us. It's all this that we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning, if you have need of the church, if you are hurting, if you are feeling lonely, if you are feeling uh, lost or disenfranchised, if you are feeling really good and you're maybe a little concerned that maybe things are going a little too well and you're uh, tempted to worship the blessing rather than the one who has blessed, I want to encourage you to, to find the opportunity to ask for prayer. If you are seeking relationship with God, if you want to enter into his kingdom, we believe that the way that we do that, and the Bible teaches this pretty clearly, is through baptism. Belief in the person of Jesus Christ and his salvation, and baptism in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of sins and the receipt of the Holy Spirit. If you want to receive the best blessing of relationship with God, We want to encourage you to pursue that today. Uh, We have a baptistry ready, and we'd be happy to baptize you this morning. Invite you to stand as we sing. Let's worship.